The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Boy, did I love the movie Unbroken. Hi there, it's Doc Thompson. There's a new movie in theaters September 14th called Unbroken Path to Redemption. It's the rest of the true story of Louis Zamperini, an Olympic runner and later prisoner of war hero in World War II. It's his life after war. It compassionately shows how he worked through his demons and his anger, and more importantly, found peace with God. Unbroken Path to Redemption is especially timely and is in theaters September 14th. Check out unbrokenfilm.com, unbrokenfilm.com. Joining us now, the author of September 1918 War, Plague in the World Series, Skip. Skip, I'm going to need a pronunciation on your last name. Desjardin. Desjardin, okay. I feel that's easier than just screwing it up because, see, Skip, and I apologize because good producers, they would actually put a pronunciation up for me. Oh, I knew the name. Desjardin. (laughs) Was it a teachable moment? It was a teachable moment. (laughs) Yes. Skip, here we are, the 100th anniversary of 1918. In 1918, a lot of interesting things happened. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing 30 days that September. Uh, The the first big American battle of World War I was taking place. You know, up until that point, our troops had been uh, scattered amongst French and and, uh, British generals. And uh, in September, Black Jack Pershing finally united all of them in, in one big American army, and and they won in a, a very critical battle uh, that September, uh, and basically broke the will of German troops and the German command. And eight weeks later, the war was over. Also, uh, the Spanish flu broke out in Boston, and we tend to forget the Spanish flu in history. You know, we we go through the greatest hits. Uh, in school, we do Pilgrims, sure. Civil War, World War Two, and everybody heads off on summer vacation. <laughs> um, but uh, Spanish flu uh, was the worst epidemic in world history. Over 100 million people died. See, I, had no, United, I, had, I had no idea going from memory that it was that significant. Yeah, uh, worse than the Black Plague of medieval wow. times. And in the United States, 700,000 people died. Wow. And that would have been a country of 150, maybe yeah. 200 million, maybe? Yeah, a little, almost around half of what we have today. Okay, yeah. Wow. So think about that for a minute. If we suddenly had an epidemic breakout today, even, that, that killed 700,000 people, we'd, we'd be in a panic. Yeah. And they were, to an extent. Um, and so that broke out in Boston uh, in that month. At the same time that the Red Sox were playing in the World Series led by Babe Ruth uh, and won that World Series, the last World Series they won for 86 years before their famous drought. And part of why or I got interested in writing the book was my uh, initial question to myself was, first of all, why was the World Series being played in September? And why would anybody go to games in Boston at exactly the time when being out, crammed into a crowd at a ballpark, could literally kill you. Wow, that's a great point. You're right. So you have the Spanish flu going on, and they're crowding in there. Did they not know about the flu or how it was spread or significance? Yeah, they didn't. And and, and you could blame that on the war. You know, we also forget that during World War One, there had been a, war, a law passed in America that said it would was illegal to print anything in the newspaper that was critical of the president or the government or was considered unpatriotic, or uh, could hurt civilian morale. And newspaper editors around the country had gone to jail. 
And so newspapers were a little timid about these things. And after all, what could be worse for morale than telling people that hundreds of their neighbors were dying? And so newspapers were very, very slow to report on the Spanish flu. And when they did, they were taking the word of local officials who every single day in Boston would come out and say, well, everything will be better tomorrow. Everything will be better tomorrow. And they did that day after day after day, despite the fact that at its peak, one person was dying in Boston of the Spanish flu every nine minutes. Yeah, I just I just did a quick numbers too. I think there's around three thousand counties in America. That means for seven hundred thousand people, that would be on average of of about two hundred and thirty some people dying in every county. I mean, that's think about your home county, wherever you are right yeah. now. That's two hundred and thirty people dying. Yeah, it was an amazing thing, and and one of the reasons that it w- it spread that way again, it started from Boston, and, and it spread because sailors and soldiers stationed in and around Boston were moving around in wartime and being shipped from facility to facility. But the other reason that it was as uh, devastating as it was is that no one was learning lessons from the previous cities where it took place. All the mistakes that they made in Boston were all repeated then in Philadelphia, which was the next big city that it hit, again, because the media was a Afraid to sort of report on it vigorously because of this law, which had good intentions. Of course, you want civilian morale to be high during wartime, mm-hmm. but the unintended consequence of a of a law that said you can't print anything bad in the newspaper was that nobody printed anything bad in the newspaper, <laughs> <laughs> even if it was going to be something that may actually help people. Yes, and also we've made. We underestimate the tremendous medical advances that we have made since then. Had the newspapers been printing the advice that some health officials were giving, it would have been things like, don't spit in the street. And at one point, the Boston Health uh, Office uh, ordered restaurants and bars to wash the glasses in between customers. Oh, okay. So they, they were telling them they needed to do that. Yeah, okay. And some of the restaurants and bars thought that was crazy and switched to paper cups. <laughs> so you're so talking, prior to this, way. prior to this, if I went in and ordered a beer, those glasses were not cleaned. Right. You just got the beer, beer that the guy next to you just emptied. Wow. Okay. That's, well, I guess that's more efficient as a bartender, right? <laughs> it is, but it's also more efficient for spreading influenza. Yeah. <laughs> So how long was the Spanish flu um, uh, destructive? How long was it? Was it just one season? It, it, in Boston, which is where most of the events in this book take place, it lasted almost this exact 30 days of September. Uh, it sprung up, it swept across the state, and then it was gone. And the reason it went so quickly was that by the end of September, uh, it had run out of fuel. There was no one left to infect. Uh. You know, we all did that little science experiment in in school as kids where you light a candle and then you tip a jar upside down on it, Mm -hmm. and very quickly the candle goes out because it's used up all the oxygen. Same thing. The flu was so widespread that by the end of 30 days, there was nobody left in all of Massachusetts who hadn't been exposed. So you either either had the tolerance to it or you had succumbed to it. Yeah, and one of the tragic things about this particular strain of flu uh, and look, flu is tough. Even today, flu is every year the fourth or fifth biggest killer in America, uh, despite all our advances. But this particular strain, as opposed to most of the time today when it, 
affects the elderly or the very young, infants and toddlers. This went after people in their 20s and 30s, in the absolute prime of their life, and took advantage of their own uh, antibodies and, and their ability to fight infection. So when they caught it, they, create, they created so many white blood cells to fight it that it filled their lungs with white blood cells and literally drowned them. And wow. quickly, people would be fine at breakfast and dead by nighttime. So when I first saw the title of your book and I thought, wow, here we are 100 years from September of 1918. And then I started thinking in general just what an amazing time period that would have been. I mean, you're talking um, obviously, you know, World War One and the things you mentioned in your book. But you're just a couple of years from the roaring 20s. And you're just uh, 11 years from the stock market crash and the Great Depression you know, I mean, it was a, an amazing transformational period because even just the decades before, you know, the um, proliferation of the automobile and flight had only been, what, the 15 years before the first manned flight, right? I mean... Yeah, it's, it, it totally transformed war, for instance. You know, war up until that point had always been two-dimensional, mm-hmm. back and forth across the field. The armies pushed each other and and, and captured ground. And all of a sudden, the introduction of the airplane made this a three-dimensional battle. So you you could go up instead of just back and forth, and you could look down and see where the other side was located, how many men they had, and drop bombs on them, which totally changed war. Well, and think about this. So we went from man not knowing anything about flight. And I think the Wright brothers flew in 1903, so 15 years before this. And we know that aircrafts were were part of the uh, of World War One. I. I mean, they yeah. were they were there were aces that that flew. I mean, it was there were aerial battles. So think about that uh, that first flight of the Wright brothers and how you know how limited it was. What was it? You know, forty seconds or twenty seconds or something. Yep. And fifteen years later, having no knowledge of flight, you have aerial battles in war. Yeah, there's a great story in the book about a. a, a kid from Boston named David Putnam, who became America's ace of aces, the guy who had shot down more Germans than anyone else. Um, and he had volunteered early in the war before America was in it, had first worked on an ambulance corps, and then joined what was called the Lafayette Escadrille, French Plains American pilots, and racked up more wins than anybody else. And on September 12th, uh, was shot down finally himself. And he had been famous all across America, and his exploits had been, had been chronicled in newspapers from coast to coast. Everybody knew who America's ace of aces was. And now he was dead at 19 years old. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. And flying planes, that, as you said, that were fairly rudimentary, most of those planes were covered in canvas, not in metal. Oh, wow, because they were more about the uh, the ability to bring war as opposed to protect the plane. They hadn't gotten there yet or even how and to, Well, they had to be light, light in order right. to fly. <clears throat> wow, that's incredible. Yeah, what an amazing time period. Uh, how else, if you had to come up with a blanket concept or a way for people to understand what life was like during that that time period? Because here you are, you, you spotlight 30 days that were incredibly transformational. What was the overall attitude? Were people worldly? Did they understand what was going on like maybe we would today? With It was, it was really the beginning of change. It, 1920, just two years later, was the first U.S. census in which more people lived in cities than on farms and in rural wow. areas. 
So that, that agrarian to industrial society change was just taking place. And as a result, um, the immigration levels were incredibly high because we needed people to work in factories, especially in the Northeast where they were producing during the war blankets, uniforms, boots, shoes, all the things that a giant army of more than a million men needed. Uh, and so that, too, was changing society because suddenly you went from sort of a, a, a homogenous society to all these various ethnicities moving into uh, certainly the Northeast from all kinds of different countries. And um, in those days had their own doctors, their own grocery stores, their own newspapers. Uh, and the assimilation into American society was slower even than it is today. Skip, this is this is fascinating. What a what a, a great way to pull this all together too. I think uh, your concept and execution awesome for the book. Nice job. Thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll post a link to it. Where can people find it? Obviously, the usual places. But do you have a website? Yeah, you can you can get it online. You can get it in your bookstores. Uh, you can go to September nineteen or follow me on Twitter at. Skip Desjardin. All right, Skip. Thanks so much, buddy. We'll post that to our social media as well. Have a great day. Thanks. Uh, just can you imagine the the transitional amount? Had you thought about that before? That here you are in World oh, War One, no. fifteen years earlier, the first flight. Now you go. Well, fifteen years is a lot of time to develop something. Yet now with computers, they knew nothing about flight. Yeah. Skip. Or, 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 or I'm talking to Skip. Um, uh, Chris. They they knew nothing about this. And th- those first flights were just seconds long. And here you are, 15 years later, using it in combat, and it's significant. Yeah. Aerial battles. You know, you yeah. see those... It's really interesting, because I never thought, like, 1918 would have been an important month for America. And well, look, at, look yeah. at all that. And then in Boston? Yeah. Come on. Well, and the way he ties all that together, you're right. So here you are, this plague, which I didn't know how many yeah. people were killed. And the World Series is going on. You're like, hey, guys, maybe you shouldn't all be here. Right? <laughs> Should but, all put in one. No, don't go. The, the number of people, he said 700,000. We were half the size we mm-hmm. are now. And if you divided that up equally, it's 230, 250 people per county, if it were even. That mm-hmm. means in your county, to, I'm guessing you would probably know a couple of those yes, people. Yes, right? yes. It would have affected everybody. Yes. Huge. Interesting stuff. We'll post a link to it. Hi there, it's Doc Thompson. Thanks for listening to The Morning Blaze. When you have some time, there's another show that I think you should check out. It's the Glenn Beck Program. I think you're really going to like it. Look for it now wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. If you hear yourself saying, feels pretty good to see somebody rub their nose in it, you may be addicted to outrage. We've expressed our outrage at everyone and everything that is different. Every thumbs up is like a dopamine surge and every retweet is a serotonin hit. In my new book, Addicted to Outrage, we bring clarity to this addiction. If enough of us can just drop our anger and outrage, we might just stand a chance to heal ourselves. Addicted to Outrage by Glenn Beck. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash addicted to outrage. Knowledge is power. Tweet at us with the hashtag what I learned today. This is the Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson on the Blaze Radio Network.